Capitalize on the stock market downturn now and build your wealth through real estate investing. Join Michael Blanc along with hundreds of other savvy investors at DealMaker Live, the number one multifamily event in Dallas, Texas from June 1st to 3rd. Gain exclusive access to strategies used by over 10,000 successful students to acquire over $1.5 billion in real estate assets. Register now at dealmakerliveevent.com for a huge discount and secure your seat. Tickets are going fast. Don't miss out on the opportunity to transform your financial future. Go to dealmakerliveevent.com today. Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Garrett Lynch, and as always, let's get ready to own it. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Our guest today has created systems in his Airbnb business that allow him to work only one to two hours per week on his current properties. We're going to get into the interview with Kyle Stanley in just a bit. But first, if you guys want to invest alongside the pros or us, reach out to us at nighthawkequity.com and learn how you can get involved with an apartment syndication and, and partner with us, have us do all the work, and then just pay you guys checks quarterly. So it's a really cool program. Check us out. Set up a call. See if it's the right fit for you. We'd love to talk to you. Also, guys, we have a huge event coming up called Dealmaker Live. It's in Dallas, Texas from June 1 to June 3. And it's the number one multifamily event of the year. We're super excited about it. It has only over 30 speakers, hundreds of investors to network with. We had a huge showing last year. It was a really successful event. If you guys are interested, reach out to us or go on the website at thedealmakerliveevent.com and buy your tickets. And up your multifamily game. I want to give a shout out to this Amazon user said that they really enjoyed the yellow book. They now have a blueprint to purchasing a multi-unit duplex or apartment building. They love how all the steps are broken down. So if you guys have read the yellow book and find it helpful, please leave us a review so we can share it with other people and they they look at it and, and see how helpful it really is. Success highlights. We got Michael Keller and Brock Merkst. Uh, Michael's a coaching student with his mentors, Jeremy. They closed a 384-unit deal in Daytona, Florida for $43 million. They raised $12.2 million. That is a big deal, guys. Uh, that's super cool. So if you guys want to find out how to buy your own apartment deal, reach out to us at themichaelblanc.com slash mentor. So that's themichaelblanc.com slash mentor and see if you can... Find a mentor that's going to get you into an, your first apartment building on the active side. So guys, I want to talk a little bit about going into a major market versus a, a secondary market or tertiary market. So there are really pros and cons to each. If you're looking at new markets and looking to get into some, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity right now just because of where things are in the economy in general. But if you're going into a primary market, the benefits are that you get a lot of great staff that typically exist in that market. There's typically a lot of products, so you can go deep in that market. But the downside is it's difficult to break in. 
it takes time and effort and relationships to be able to break in and make a name for yourself because there's already a lot of big players in the market that can gobble up deals better than you can because they're they're known entities essentially. So it is more difficult to get in. If you're going to a secondary market, it could be less difficult to get in that market depending on what it is. But then you're going to have problems on the operational side because there's going to be a, a lesser labor pool to operate your property. So you really have to find someone good and hope that they stick because you're, if you have to replace them, there's not a ton of great replacements out there often. And I'm generalizing, of course, but that's something that people don't always think about when they get on the other side of it and after they own the property and then they you know, they can't find anyone that's going to work it and, and manage and execute on the business plan. So other things are travel. It takes a longer time to travel these secondary markets. So if you're trying to make a lot of trips there, it could, it could take a while. And then finding vendors, same thing with the, with the people, just finding good vendors consistently to maintain the property and, and do, do just normal day-to-day things. So that can be more challenging. I'm going to introduce our guest, Kyle Stanley. He started the Fearless Investor in 2019. It was originally called Fearless Flipping as a way to help others learn about investing in real estate. Today, his mission has evolved into teaching people how to make money with Airbnb and other investments. Let's get into the interview with Kyle. Kyle, welcome to the show today. Garrett, thanks for having me, man. So you are the Airbnb king and you got into it a really cool way. Talk to us about your your kind of history and, and how you did get into this business. Okay. First of all, you're calling me an Airbnb king. I'm not calling myself that. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, man, I mean, it was a very windy path. I tell a lot of people I was a wantapreneur for about nine years. Right out of college, became a sports anchor for a local TV station. Thought I was going to be the next play-by-play guy for the Chicago Cubs or ESPN sports anchor, you know, and realized very quickly that I don't like taking orders from other people and don't like being told when to show up to work. <laughs> so turns out we call that an entrepreneur, right? And so I started my own business. That was also in the sports realm. I was making videos for high school athletes to help them get recruited to play in college. But, you know, without having any business experience, never had taken a business course in my life, just really didn't have a whole lot of knowledge on how to build a business. And so I, there was a lot of learning the hard way for about five or six years in that, and then jumped into an MLM and, and tried some other sales jobs. And long story short, my, my dad was diagnosed with bone cancer back in 2016 when I was living in Arizona, I moved back to Fresno, California, where I live now to be closer to my dad. And, you know, as he was kind of in those last few months, I was like, you know, you just, anytime you lose someone or go through some sort of trauma in your life, right. You're just, you're kind of reflecting, you're doing a lot of reflecting. And I was definitely in a moment of reflecting. And, and I just thought to myself, like, man, I've been working my butt off, right. To, to just try to make ends meet, which was really what was modeled to me. I, I mean, I love love my parents, but they worked very hard, and they we were always able to you know afford those couple trips a year. But outside of that, it was like, hey, you know what? Are, there's no real free time here, and so I started looking into what's truly passive, and everything that kept popping up was real estate. So I went to a Fortune Builders event back in what was that? It was January of 2019. Flipped a couple houses. And on that second flip, I was like, well, maybe I should keep this as a long-term rental. And then I started looking up some stuff on Airbnb and started looking at the market. And I was like, well, maybe I can accelerate the cash flow and turn this into a short-term rental. So I bird that property. 
And instead of making $600 of net as a long-term rental, first month I made $2,000 net as a short-term rental. And I knew I had found something really special because everyone was like, you're crazy for trying a short-term rental in Fresno. That doesn't make sense. It's not a vacation market. And I thought I had something and then turns out when I rolled the dice, I was right. So fast forward today, we're at over 55 properties, most of which we don't own. And this business has been both passive and created some awesome generational wealth for us. So that's the long story of it. <laughs> so you didn't take like, you weren't taking like courses on this or any of that stuff. You just kind of dove in and tried it. Yeah. Great question. So to fill in some of the gaps, I was doing Airbnb as a room out of my house for a while. So I already had a little bit of Airbnb experience, but like nothing passive, right? I was cleaning the bed. I was stocking everything up. And so I did need to try to figure out like, okay, if I'm going to do this with an entire house, I'm going to have to have cleaners. I'm going to have to have systems in place to like, when they're, when the shampoo runs out, who's refilling the shampoo? And, and I didn't have any of that. So yes, I did buy a course. They also not only taught you how to do the operation side of it, they also taught you how to do what a lot of people have become familiar with, which is called arbitrage, taught you how to do that. And so I, I learned that right around the same time as I was getting this first property up. So that was like the real aha moment though, when I found out that you could do this without owning the property, I literally was like so skeptical of it. I called Airbnb and was like, okay, do you have to have the deed to the home? And they're like, no, you don't. I was like, well, you have like a cap though on how many listings you can put up, right? And they're like, no, you can have as many as you want. I was like, oh my gosh, like this actually is legit. So yes, I took a course, got the knowledge, hit the ground running. Got it. So how does the whole arbitrage thing work? Like, how do you find people that are okay with you just renting their place out of short term? Yeah, I get that question a lot. And what I will say is if you actually get into this industry, you will realize how much better an arbitrage tenant is than a long-term tenant. In fact, I'm turning one of my properties in Arizona from a short-term rental into a long-term rental right now. And I got a call from a guy who was like, hey, I want to, you know, he didn't say the words, but in, in to summarize it, he basically wants to arbitrage my property. I'm like, great. I would much rather have you arbitrage my property than have a long-term tenant. Why? Because there's more insurance. So typically you have a homeowner's policy and a renter's policy. Well, with this, there's another layer of insurance through short-term rentals. And typically the right kind of tenant is going to have a general liability policy. So they're going to be protected even more because they're running it as a business, not just renting a house. The second is that you have eyes on the property from people who are invested in your property at all time. If they don't have a good quality property, then they're going to get poor reviews. So if I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell you, hey, I want to rent your property and I'm going to keep it in the best condition, you know that because my reviews, my earnings are based on the fact that this house is in good condition versus a long-term tenant was literally going to bang that thing up because they don't really they don't really care, right? So it's typically a roof and and four walls. And as long as they have a good place to sleep at night as a long-term tenant, they could care less about the property. They could care less about the wall that their kid accidentally elbowed into the hallway when they were playing around, right? So there's that. And you know, I would just say to like it's almost like having a free property manager because you're not going to get the calls about the leaky toilet or the paint that's chipped or the loose doorknob. I'm going to take care of those things for you instead of you getting the call from the tenant. So 
there's just so much peace of mind, I think, when it comes to this kind of exit strategy. And when you truly believe like I'm the best tenant, it becomes an easy conversation to have with a landlord. So you you cut a fixed rate price with them and then you do and then you run your business out of it basically. And, and you just pitch them on all these points you just basically mentioned here. And there's got to be people that are like, yeah, that's great. Sounds perfect. Let's do it. Yeah, simple as that. That's the arbitrage model. And just like you said, it's just it's just fixed rent, right? They treat me just like a tenant. So a lot of landlords, you know, will try to say, well, you're making money. So yada, yada, yada. I said, well, just a second, I'm giving you a lot more peace of mind than a long-term tenant. So treat me the same way you would treat a regular tenant. Let's let's just call it what it is. But then if someone does say, well, you're making money and I think I should make more money, then I tell them, well, then it sounds like a better relationship would not be arbitrage, but it sounds like we should do co-hosting. That's the industry term. It's a glorified term for really property management or hospitality management. I'm going to come in I'm going to manage the day-to-day. You're going to take on all the expenses as the owner. So you're going to furnish it. You're going to buy all the consumables, all the pots and pans, the silverware, everything. If any damage happens, as long as you can't point to me as the manager, you're going to take over that. I'm just going to operate it and get it booked, get you as much money as possible. And I'm going to take a percentage off of the top of that. And I love that model. That's That's been the model that we've grown the most with of our portfolio being around around 55 about eight we own, about another eight to 10 we arbitrage. The rest, what is that? Close to 40 properties we're co-hosting for other people. And I love that model because A, I don't need money. So I can grow this thing really quickly. B, I still make great money. If I gross someone $5,000 on a property for the month, I charge them 25%. So I'm making $1,250 for a property that I don't own and I don't have any money invested in. Uh, And C, if I make money for that owner and they love it. And they're like, oh my gosh, I just made more than a regular tenant would have made me. What are they going to do? They're a doctor, they're a lawyer, they're a dentist. They're telling all their other doctor, lawyer, dentist friends about this cool Airbnb person that's hang, you know, taking care of their property. And, and it just kind of gets legs pretty quickly because of that. Wow. That's super cool. So so you, what do you actually do then? So they're, they're handling all the expenses. You're just basically marketing it online and then making sure like the maintenance stuff happens essentially? Yeah. The marketing, the guest communications, that's the most of the the lifting, heavy lifting, the maintenance, the cleaning, everything that goes into it. I think the biggest thing is that you know people look at it and they say, well, I can talk to guests and I can hire a cleaner. And that's great. Like You're going to be able to operationally, once you have the guests in there, you could potentially do this. But if you're a busy business professional, a real estate investor, a doctor, a lawyer, any of those, I always kind of push back and say, do you really have time to do that? Because Airbnb is really going to hurt you if you don't get great reviews. And they're also going to hurt you if you don't respond quickly. If you're not on the ball responding to these people, Airbnb will see that in their algorithm and they'll start to bump you down in the rankings. But kind of going back to the marketing side, there's so many little tricks and and little things that you can do to your listing to make sure that you're showing up on page one, page two, at the worst, page three, while your competition, who is that mom and pop shop and has one or two, is down at page number 14 because they don't know what they're doing. So I always tell people like, hey, yeah, you can go do this on your own, but you're going to probably make 25% less doing all the work on your own when you could just hire someone like us and we'll do it all for you, you'll make the same amount, but it'll be completely passive. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's I mean, if if you can come in and make it completely passive, even there there should be a premium even for that, right? So that's yeah. that's really cool. So I, I'm curious because you said Fresno, California, and and right away I'm like, why is that such a hot destination? And is it a hot destination? Are you just, or have you just figured out how to do this business in a market and and you know figure something out that a lot of people maybe overlook? Yeah. So I'm all about data over emotion, right? And when you look at Airbnb and a lot of people told me when I was first starting, like, hey, you're crazy. It's not going to work there. Yeah, that's that's an emotional gut feeling. And anyone who ever says trust your gut knows that sometimes even that lets you down, right? And so when you think about Fresno, California, there's nothing attracting us here. Like there's not even like more than a, a movie theater. <laughs> that would be a good thing to go to on a Friday night. So why do people come to Fresno? Well, just by hosting here, I've realized it has nothing to do with vacations. It has nothing to do with being used the word destination. It's it's none of that. It's I have to go to Fresno, not necessarily that I want to go to Fresno. And when I go to Fresno, what do I want to do? Do I want to go to a hotel where I don't have a kitchen? I don't have a living room and I have to share walls with someone? Or can I pay just about the same, maybe even less if I'm coming with a group of people and we can split expenses and now have a kitchen and now have privacy and have a backyard and sometimes even a pool and some of those really cool amenities. And so that's really like, to me, identifying your market and realizing who you're serving. If I'm going to, you know, let's just call it Hawaii, right? Like I need it near the water. I need the beach gear. I need something that is like, you know, just screams beach and and the destination, the location is going to take care of the rest for me. In Fresno, I just need stuff that serves my client. My client is either a business traveler or a family man or woman. And so what do they need? They need enough rooms for the kids. They need some games for the kids and for the adults. They need a, a working desk. They need the kitchen, they need the living room, and they just need space. And as long as it's clean, has good reviews, and it's a comfortable bed, they're happy. And so I get a lot less you know, high-maintenance clients in a place like Fresno, California. We're also in Bass Lake, which is near Yosemite. And that's a great place for a vacation. And, you know, those are higher maintenance clients. So for that reason, we know during each turnover, we've got to go the extra mile to make sure that like everything is not just a five-star stay, it's a six-star stay because they are looking at everything through, a you know, a microscope of just trying to figure out what is wrong with this place where Fresno is just not that way. So I guess, you know, the big thing I'm saying here is you just have to understand who you're serving and look at the data. The data is on a platform called AirDNA. AirDNA will show you, is there opportunity in a given market that you might have some some thought on going into? So is that, that's how you basically find that that data and who you're going to serve is on that website or is it just kind of, you got to figure it out by trying it? On who you're serving, it's, it, to me, it's about connecting with other hosts, right? Just collaborating. And then it's just about hosting people, right? And just getting them in the door. AirDNA is going to show you things like how many listings are in your area, how much are those? It's the MLS of of Airbnb, basically. You can look down the street and see this five bedroom, three bath house with a pool made, you know, $12,000 in this last year. Is that a deal? No, that's not a deal. But the one next door that's really nicely done and you can tell that someone took care of it, they made $100,000 
$120,000. Okay. Well, that's what I want my place to look like. And you can start kind of comping them out and deciding what you want your place to look like, where you want it to be based on AirDNA's data. Hey, I want to tell you about our mentoring program because I'm just excited at what our students' results are. We have students routinely do their first deal because they're working with a full-time syndicator. And that mentor is helping them do their first deal faster. That first deal is a lot bigger than if they did it without a mentor. And they avoid some of the biggest mistakes that can simply make you want to quit out of the business. So if that's interesting to you, if you value mentorship, check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. You can schedule a call with us and see if mentoring is right for you. And uh, we look forward to having a conversation. So have you ever had a situation where you bought a, a property and it did, wasn't working the way that you thought? And and what did you do about it? Yeah. So it's really been the opposite, I would say, where you like, we've had a few like that, Garrett, where it's like, okay, we think this is going to do really well. And it's like, mm, it hasn't done as well as we thought, but more often it's, hey, we're not quite sure how this is going to do. And then it exceeds our expectations. So I would just give anyone like the peace of mind of just try it. And the easiest way to try it, right, without going and buying a property and putting down 20% and, you know, just like being stressed with all the debt that you just put yourself in. Well, you can arbitrage it for a lot less or you can coast it for nothing and just try it. But in those situations where we had properties that were underperforming, sometimes it's just the the smallest things, right? One of our properties has a pool. So again, like I'm very hands-off. I put about three to five hours of work into, into this each week. So I give a lot of trust to my team. Well, one of our properties has a pool and all of our pool places do really, really well. And this one was not. And I was like, why is this not working out very well? It's the only one we had that didn't also have a barbecue. I'm like, guys, if we have a pool. We have to have a barbecue. Like this is something that we need to do. So get a barbecue in there. It starts performing better. Sometimes it will take over other Airbnbs with owners that are like, I don't know why it's not performing. And my wife is our interior designer. She'll go in there and she'll just give it a nice new facelift. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't even need that. Sometimes it just needs professional photos and just rearranging. We just took over one property that was doing well for this owner, but we were like, hey, if we just rearrange some of the art, add in a bed in this room, instead of it being just kind of a, an empty room, we think we can do a lot better. So we did that. We added, or we changed around decor, added a bed and did professional photos. And this guy was making 175 a night. And we just got a booking the other day for $400 a night. And he's like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> how did you do that? I'm like, just know what we're doing. You know, you just, you just have to, you have to think everything through the, the lens of the guest. And the more you understand your guests, the more you know what they're looking for, the more you know what to market to them. What do you think about these big luxury home? Airbnbs. Have you dipped your toe into that a little bit or, or do you have any thoughts on it? You know, I think there's two different types of business models. I think there's like my friend, Rachel, she lives in Georgia. Her motto is the most income with the least amount of properties. And so she does strictly luxury properties. And that opens up a whole new clientele with a whole new set of opportunities and a whole new set of headaches. For me, we got in and we saw that our name was just, we were just spreading like wildfire. And it was sometimes so these three bedroom, two baths, basic houses, these five bedroom, three baths with a pool, nothing like giant, nothing luxury, but we found a niche and we knew how to copy and paste that and do it again and again and again. And we've had a couple opportunities where it's like, 
huge giant homes that are over 3000 square foot. And I just go to my team and say, are we really set up for success with this? And and the answer was kind of like, well, we could figure it out. I'm like, listen, we, we could go try to figure this out and reinvent the wheel and change our processes. Or we could just go get three more properties that would equal what we would make with one of these. And it would just be copy and paste. And, it would, and we could do it in our sleep. So to me, like you have to define your business model more than anything. If you want to do luxury properties, do luxury properties. And that's awesome. But we're just not in a point in our business where we would want to expand into that because it's like learning a whole new animal. Same in our business. I mean, we, we get approached all the time with different opportunities and development or affordable or whatever Yeah, it is. And I just look at it and I'm like, I can move so much faster if we just do what we know and we know how to make money. We have the the upper hand on this. this Shiny area. object syndrome, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you just, you can't, can't really jump into that. I mean, unless you really want to try it. I'm curious, Kyle, how do you think people should go about finding their niche in this business. Oh man, just just by by trying it, just by doing it. You know, for the first 4 months like I told you when my dad was on hospice, I was just listening to podcasts all the time. I was listening to Bigger Pockets and, you know, the Cardone Zone and all this stuff and I was just like I I just learned more and more and more and the last thing I ever thought I'd do was flip houses, but because I was in this learning mode, I just wanted to learn everything. I went to a seminar in person with fortune builders. And the, the last thing I thought I'd ever be interested in ended up being the main thing that I ended up being interested in because I realized the barrier of entry on getting into flipping was actually not nearly as high as I thought it was. And so it screamed to all of my skills, but I look back on those four months, Garrett, and I'm like, I was just paralyzed by like, what to do next? Because I just had so many options. I realized after that four months, I just got to make a decision on something and just do it. And so if I if I were to go back, I'd probably say like, make a decision in two days, two weeks, two months, not four or five months. Like you're just never, I actually look back on that. And I'm surprised that I actually took action because most people I talk to now and teach, if they haven't taken action by like month one, they're probably not going to take action. They're just probably not going to do it. So just stop thinking about it, try it, but also like know your limits, right? Like don't go and try to buy a house with your own cash if all you have is $30,000 of cash. Like use that $30,000 on educating yourself and finding a mentor or finding a course or finding a program that will teach you the way so that you can reduce your risk and do it the right way and not make mistakes. I should say make less mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. That's I mean that's part of part of business is you try to bypass some of that by at least learning from someone else that's done it so that that's helpful but there's there's also you have to trip up yep you gotta you gotta figure it out you have to talk to us about so your kind of brand is the fearless investor can you tell us a little bit about that and what your mission is yeah for sure so fearless investor is the youtube channel and the podcast started out as fearless flipping and then when i stopped flipping i was like all right (laughs) we should probably change this so you know I use the word fearless knowing very well there's no such thing as no fear but you know fear is the thing that just continues to paralyze people and we just talked about it right it's the thing that no matter how much we recognize it or not it's there and it's whether you're going to either curl up into a ball in the corner of the room because of fear or you're going to put on the football pads and take it on you know head on and so that to me like it's not about not having fear. It's about what you do with the fear that's going to define if you're successful. Also growing up, 
one of the things that my mom was a big part of is she would always put in front of me the courage of a lion and the kindness of a lamb. So the lion and the lamb. So for me, just having the, if you can see the, the lion in my logo there, having something with the lion was important for me. And the biggest thing I think of when I think of a lion is like, they just don't have fear. They have courage. What advice do you have for people that are, that are paralyzed by fear? That action will always conquer fear. You're too busy trying to figure out that aha moment by reading or learning or just educating yourself when actually the biggest aha moments come through doing. And so it almost always ends up being way less scary than you've made it to be in your head. You know, one of the biggest questions I get from people is, well, what do you say to landlords to convince them to let you rent their house? And I know when I get that question, that person's probably talked to zero to five landlords. And at that point, I'm like, you haven't even started your business. It's just like if you're going to go out and you're going to cold call and start trying to wholesale or flip houses and you say, I've knocked on five doors and I keep getting no's. Well, yeah, of course. Like you've only knocked on five doors. Like you haven't even, you haven't even started. So like to me, you have to make 50 to hundred calls to landlords to really start this business. And sure, if you have the right script, you might be lucky enough to get a yes on your first one, but that's a, you know, I've only had a few students get a yes on their first phone call. Most of them have to make 30, 40, 50 phone calls. And the only way you're going to do that is by picking up the phone. Yeah. I used to sell knives for Cutco knives. And that was similar to going door to door, a little bit different, but I think that was the best skill set that I ever learned because it just taught me like, you can keep taking a punch in the face and move forward and still have success. And so you got way more no's than, than yeses. But what happened is you started to refine your process, the way you talked about things, your different sales techniques, all those things. Because at the end of the day, if you have a product that you really believe in, you really believe you can help someone, then then you want to get that into someone else's hands. And that's exactly what you have right here is you, you, know, you have a product, you have a way to make a landlord more money with less headache. And so why would you not have these points to talk about with them that that could really help sway them in the direction where, you, where everybody wins? Yeah. And I even tell my students too, if you're so scared about the result, about the rejection, then go find all the landlords with houses that you would never want at Airbnb and just go start calling them. Because even if you get a no, you knew that you were going to tell them no. So at least you can now start talking to people that and start trying to figure out what are the objections I'm going to come across? What are the skepticism? What, what's the attitude of a landlord? What's the problems that I can solve? Like you'll just learn so much just by talking to them. And that's kind of like your, your minor league practice before you get up to the majors, right? And then you get that, you know, gorgeous house with the pool and the hot tub in the prime location. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm foaming at the mouth. Well, at least I've tried 20, 30 times with properties that I didn't necessarily want. Now I know what I'm saying when I, it's time to step into the plate with the big one. Yeah. You got, you got all the reps in yeah. early. And then, you know, when you go for something else, that's, it's not quite as difficult because you already, yeah. you've already done it, man. That's such good advice. It's really cool to see how, how you've grown. So you don't, you don't recommend like people trying to go into other markets. It sounds like you've stayed pretty localized. Is there, what's the advantage to that? Well, if you can start in your backyard, 
that's the best way to do it, right? Because, I mean, in my mind, and not everyone might agree with this, but I'm a big believer that if I'm going to teach my team how to do something, I need to have at least done it once. And so I didn't hire a cleaner until I cleaned my first property. I didn't go tell someone to do an inventory check until I did an inventory check myself. And that's a, to me, a competitive advantage in building a team is now if a cleaner says, Hey, I'm going to charge you $200 for this cleaning. I asked him, well, what's, what's your rate per hour? Well, it's $50 an hour. Well, I can tell you right now that that property is not going to take you four hours to clean. I myself, a non-professional cleaner got a five-star review on a cleaning and only took me two hours to clean. So no, I'm not going to pay you $200. You might not be the right fit for my team. So I, right, I, I can have a better feel for the way my business runs if I do it myself once or twice. Now, some of you can't do that. Some of you live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and you can't do short-term rentals in Las Vegas. You might live in Southern California where it's really difficult. And so for that reason, you have to look outside of where you live. And the biggest thing I tell people is don't make a choice on where you're going to do this based on the return on income because that's not always going to be a good return on time. For example, what's a place, you know, the Smokies became a really big one in in Tennessee over the last few years. Well, I live far away from Tennessee. I live in California. If I'm going to go build a business over there, I'm going to have to make relationships. I'm going to have to build some trust. I'm going to have to really get past a lot of these people's shields that they've got against me because they don't know me from Joe down the street. So one of my students recently, they live in Las Vegas and a lot of their friends and their family live in Des Moines, Iowa. And I'm like, great. Like you can't do it in Vegas. So why don't you use the resources that you have at your fingertips rather than saying, what's the best return on my income? What's the best return on your time that will still give you a return on your income? And it sounds like Des Moines is the place. So Go talk to the realtors that you know in that area. They already have trust with you. Go talk to the contractors that your realtors are referring you to. You know those, those indirect referrals are going to come with trust. And so if you can do that, that's also one of the reasons that I moved over to, to Arizona. I'm not operating in Arizona anymore, but I, I built a business with a business partner over there with 15 properties. And he was someone that I knew, that I trusted, and already had relationships in that area. I said, I'll be the back end guy. I'll teach you how to do all the stuff in person and I'll take care of the pricing. I'll take care of the marketing. I'll do all the back end stuff until we build a team. And then we built that team and I I basically sold it off to him. So, you know, that's to me about just identifying what resources you have at your fingertips to make this an easier process. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. I mean, and we say something similar in multifamily. Like if you have the opportunity to do it in your backyard to learn just to learn the business. Right trip up, figure out how you're going to run it and what you're going to do, then, you know, you, you have the opportunity to expand elsewhere. You can, you can, you may not need to. And it's, yeah. but I, I would always think that in your own backyard, that's where I started in my own backyard in Chicago, but in D-class areas. So more, more in the ghetto, just to get my feet wet. Yeah. So understand like the business, all the nuances of it, and then you can scale. So yeah, Kyle, man, really great to have you on the show. How can people get a hold of you if they want to reach you? Yeah, there's a lot of ways. I would say the easiest is just my Instagram. Fearless Kyle is the name of my handle on Instagram. If anyone is interested in getting started in Airbnb, 
you know, I've got a lot of the free resources. I got the podcast, I got the YouTube channel. I do have a webinar on my website that is probably the best place for someone to go to just learn the ins and outs on, is this even for me? So if you go to fearlesskyle.com, right there on the homepage, there will be a video that says, get your first Airbnb in the next 30 days without owning the property. All you have to do is put your name and email in there and you'll get the webinar for free. It's about 45 minutes. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, like if you get 20 minutes into that and you're not fired up about this, then it's just not for you. So that's probably the best place for people to figure out if they want to do this or not. Kyle, man, it's been great talking to you today. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, Garrett. Yeah, guys, I love that episode. Kyle had so many good nuggets that I just, I learned a ton on this one. I love that he he does this method called co-hosting where he basically puts all the expenses on the owner. And that's really the, the business model that he's grown the most. I mean, that was that was super cool to, to hear about. So he's got like different products that he can pitch to people in order to do arbitrage and build his business, which is super cool. I really like what he said about finding your niche and making that the thing that, that moves you forward. I think that's important in any business. We found our niche in the multifamily space when we're operating. We're buying you know specific building types on, on the right corners in our market in specific areas. And then we're, we're, we have a value add program that's very specific. So really cool advice there. Last thing I, I really enjoyed is how he talks about how fear paralyzes people. And the way out of that is actually taking action to conquer fear. If you if you spend too much time trying to figure out your aha moment, you're not going to go anywhere. So the biggest aha moments come through doing. I think that was that was super helpful to hear, and and it's so true. So with that, guys, thanks for tuning in to the show with Kyle Stanley. We appreciate you listening and tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.